This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Well, good morning. How's everybody? First service was way more energized. Let's go. Hey, uh, my name is Gabe Boyd. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as the Director of Family Ministries as well as the Director of Students. Um, And it is a joy and an honor and a privilege for me to get to open God's Word with you this morning. If you have a copy of Scripture, we'll be in Psalm 32, in Psalm 32 this morning. But while you're turning there, uh, I would like to tell you a story. Um, I know that we have lots of kids in the audience. That's one of the things I love about summer times uh, is that we have kind of like these family worship services. And so kids, listen, there are some activity sheets back there. My goal, though, is that you don't look at that activity sheet. All right, I want to try to make, I want to engage you as much as possible that you and I are on the same track. And I'm going to talk to your parents too, okay? Though? Okay, so, uh, but I do have a story for you. Uh, When I was 12 years old, um, I was voted co-president of the Young Astronauts Club. (laughs) It's a good way to start a story, right? Co-president because two of us had the same number of votes, and they didn't want to hurt either one of our feelings, so they just made us co-presidents, okay? What that meant was absolutely nothing, all right? We did nothing for Young Astronauts, but what we did get to do was we got to go on a trip. Uh, We went on a six-day trip to New York, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia, all right? Uh, My parents went with me as chaperones on this trip, and I knew that this was going to be a big deal for me uh, just in terms of, like, me growing up, right? Because the very first day we were there, my dad handed over $20 worth of responsibility to me, all right? He handed me a $20 bill, and he said, hey, look, here's the deal, is that you're going to want to buy things, you're going to want to go and do all of these things, I don't want you bothering me all the time. He didn't really say this, all right, but this is just how I'm imagining this went, is that he didn't want me running back and forth to him asking for permission and asking for more money, so he just gave me some. He said, you hang on to it. Now, here's the problem, is that at 12 years old, I was probably rocking the soccer shorts with a big baggy t-shirt and a cap on. I think there may be a picture of me. Anyways. So um, as, we get, as I get this $20, I have nowhere to put it except for my trusty old fanny pack, all right? So back then, like, I was sporting the fanny pack. Uh, that was cool. Probably cool today still, maybe, sort of, sometimes. Um, but it was, so, it was really helpful for me. No pockets. They taught us to wear it in the front so it's nice and safe. You can't wear it in the back. Too many people will pickpocket you that way. So I put my $20, my sunglasses, and, um, like, some gum or whatever I needed in there, right? All my tourist essentials right there in my fanny pack in the front. Okay, and so we go through our first day, we're seeing the sights, we're doing all the things, and um, we get back to the hotel room that night, and it's me and my parents and our next door neighbor who had gone on the trip with us, and we're all just like, me and him, me and my next door neighbor, he's just the same age as me, we're just sitting on the bed, and we're just kind of going through the stuff that he had purchased through the day, Um, and I'm kind of looking through my fanny pack, and I'm like, "Um, there's no money in here. Um, Long story short. I lost it. Um, 20 bucks, gone. Like, no, in one day, one day of responsibility, apparently couldn't handle it at 12, lost it, completely gone. 
Um, and so I'm trying to like inconspicuously like look around while anxiety builds up inside of me because I'm, I'm concerned. Um, and at the same time, I, I can't find it. And so day two rolls around. Um, and we go and do all the things. We get back to the hotel. My roommate's doing all the stuff on the bed, right? We're looking at all the cool little trinkets he bought. And my dad comes up to me and goes, hey, Gabe, what'd you get today? Well, um, you see, I, uh, I, there wasn't really, I didn't see anything that I wanted today. And so, like, I'm just, I'm just hanging. I'm gonna ha- it's only day two. I'm going to hang on for a minute, okay? No big deal. He goes, okay, cool. You still got that $20, right? Yeah, yeah, it's just over there in my fanny pack. All right, good, good. Just want to make sure. Day three. Uh, day three rolls around. Um, same old, same old. We get back to the hotel room that night, going through all the stuff on the bed. Um, my dad comes up to me. Hey, Gabe, what'd you get today? Um, uh, I just, you know what? It's only day three. Like, I've seen a lot of things. I'm just trying to weigh my options. I want to save in case there's something really great down the road. And so, like, so I'm just going to wait for a minute. I didn't get anything today. And he's like, okay, that's fine. I totally get it. Um, you still got that $20, right? Yeah. Yes, of course. Of course. It's just sitting in my fanny pack. So you guys can see what's happening, right? We've all been to this place to where, um, just a simple mistake on my part has now led into multiple days of compounding lies to try to cover up the mistake. And I think it was somewhere around that day three or four that the weight of these lies, you know, you get to this point when you're so engulfed in a story that you've been telling that eventually you know it's just a matter of time before the truth is told. Before the truth comes out and you've got to face it, but you don't know how to get out of where you're at, So day four comes, and I think my dad could tell just something about me was going on because there wasn't the same, like, excitement and joy as I'm watching all my friends spend money and just reminded that I don't have any, plus I've been lying about it. And so um, we get back to the hotel, and I think he knew because we had been to a candy store that day, Um, and... If you know me, like, I love candy, and so, like, hot tamales are my fave. If it's gummy, like, just bring it. Like, I love it all, okay? And every kid walks out with a bag of candy except for me. And so that night, we're sitting there, and I'm sharing my my roommate's candy because I didn't have any. And so we're sharing it, and my dad goes, hey, Gabe, what did you get today? Well, you see, um, I just... I. I think, I think I'm going to wait for the next city, and maybe there's going to be something there that I want. And he goes, okay, that's fine. Just thought it was weird you didn't get any candy. You still got that $20, right? Yeah, yes, yes, of course. Of course I still got it. Like, I just haven't spent it yet. And he goes, okay, can I see it? So in that moment, when I'm confronted by the sins that I've been carrying for the past three days, all of the the junk that was just kind of sitting here, like, made its way straight up to my eyeballs. You know this feeling? When you know, like, you've been busted and there's no way out. So I tell you that story to tell you another one that's in Scripture. Kids, there's a guy named David. Uh, You remember David and Goliath? Well, in 2 Samuel, David is now king, and David has committed some pretty big sins. What he's done is he has taken for himself a woman that is not his and has killed a man that was married to that woman so that he could marry her. This is 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
And then in verse 12, what happens is God comes to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan is instructed to go confront David of all of his sins. And somewhere in chapter 12, David gets to this moment that I was at, where the weight of his sin, he can't bear it any longer because he's been confronted with the truth. And out of that moment, I think we see where David writes Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, it's probably David's most heartfelt, authentic, just, I mean, just real psalm that he, he writes. Probably the most famous one that you guys know of is because he's going to say a lot of things and they're like, Have mercy on me, O Lord, out of your steadfast love. Forgive me. It's this spot where David is so engulfed and so confronted with the fact that he has been sinning, that he is begging God for forgiveness. He says things like, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And in verse 13 of Psalm 51, he makes a really interesting promise, which is where I think we're going to go as we get to Psalm 32. In verse 13, David says this, God, it's like, if you will just forgive me, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. It's like you've got this guy who's in the middle of like begging for God's forgiveness and saying, God, if you'll just show me what this looks like to live a life fully forgiven, I will teach other people your ways. I will teach sinners just like me how to be saved. Enter in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, David is going to instruct us. He teaches us now, not as one seeking forgiveness, but someone who has experienced full forgiveness for everything that he's done. I think this is a great place for us to land this morning. So if you're willing and able, I would invite you to stand up with me as we read God's holy and errant word from Psalm 32. Psalm 32, a mascal of David Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For, my, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer." I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You guys can be seated. 
So inside of Psalm 32, there are three things that I want us to see, and there will be a fourth one. We'll call it a 3B, if I can get away with that. Uh, It'll be more of our application. But in verses 1 and 2, we'll look at um, David preaching to us or instructing us from this place of finding full forgiveness. He's going to share with us the blessing of forgiveness. In verses 3 through 5, He'll actually tell his own story of how he got to this place of being fully forgiven. And in verses 6 through 9, we'll see instructions both from David and God on how we might find forgiveness and how we might walk in it. So if you'll look with me at verses 1 and 2, I think it's such a great way that David starts off this psalm because he basically repeats himself in the same thought that he had twice in a row to make sure that we don't miss it. But even within these first two verses, he's going to use three different words for the idea of sin. And so this is where we have to start. We have to start with the bad before we totally understand the good. And so he's going to use three different ideas or three words for sin, which will give us kind of this entire view of what sin really is. And then he's going to show us how God removes all of it by using three other words to help us understand his full forgiveness. Look with me at verse 1 where he says that um, blessed is the one whose transgressions. So this word transgression simply means uh, rebellion. it's, it's It's like a traitor. When we have transgressed against somebody, we have taken our love for one thing and removed it from that thing and put it on something different. Something for the other team. The next way that he describes sin in our life is with the word sin. This idea of sin is simply missing the mark or something that has gone off target, kind of like some of my golf shots, okay? So like, let's just say that by some miracle, I hit one down the fairway, okay? My next shot is an approach shot to a green that I can see in full view and the pin is right there. And so I line everything up and as soon as I make contact, that thing duck hooks over into the trees, all right? I saw the pin. I knew the target, but I completely missed it. You see, God has given us a target. He has given us his law. He has showed us how to live godly lives, but what have we done? We've missed the mark. This is what sin is, is us missing the mark of his requirements. The third way in verse 2 that he approaches our sin is with the word iniquity. This word iniquity simply means crooked or twisted. It can also be related to the guilt, the shame, and the punishment that comes from our sin. This word tends to describe what happens to us or the effects that sin has in our own lives. All of this starts to sound pretty weighty, but I think if we're really honest, we're all really familiar with every single facet that's described here. The good thing is he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there, and he now covers us with three different expressions of forgiveness. The first one is by simply saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose rebellion is forgiven. What does this mean? It just simply means that it has been lifted or carried away. Like whatever you've done wrong, it's literally been lifted off of your back and carried away from you that you don't have to carry that burden any longer. Man. This is good news. Let's keep going, though. In verse 2, he says, Blessed is the man against the Lord counts, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, whose sin is covered. That's the end of verse 1. 
whose sin is covered. This simply means atoned for. It's like throwing a blanket over something, but the thing underneath there is not just out of sight, it's completely removed. Like it's not remembered anymore, it's been paid for. The next topic that we see is that our sins have not been counted against us. This is like a bookkeeping term, right? We would use this, let's say that I've been using my credit card the way that I do. I've gone to the gas station, okay? And then I've gone and got groceries, and I've done all the things, and I've rang up all the charges. And when I get my monthly bill, it says monthly uh, statement, zero. Uh, Minimum payment, zero. Interest, zero. I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. I've made charges, but they're not showing up on my account. This is God's forgiveness. Students, listen to me. This is like you getting a test back, all right? Getting a homework paper back, and you see nothing but red X's on there. It says minus seven, 100. And you're like, sign me up. I'm going to that school. Listen, that is God's forgiveness. Your sins have not been counted against you. They've been charged to somebody else. Somebody else has taken the sacrifice for you. He's incurred the penalty for you. This is the full forgiveness of God. This is what David says. When he says blessed, that word blessed also means happy. Happy is the one who experiences this kind of forgiveness. That every aspect of your sin is completely wiped away. Happy is that person. Man, for real. Absolutely. Why wouldn't I be? Paul actually references these first two verses in Romans 4, verses 6 through 8. And he's trying to express to the church in Rome, hey, what you're trying to do is you're trying to outwork God's grace. Your works are not what are going to save you. It's only by God's forgiveness through Christ Jesus that you are saved. That is the only way for you to experience forgiveness. Stop trying to outwork his grace and start running towards it. You start submitting everything to him. Every facet of your sin is forgiven by God through Jesus. So here's my question for us, is that in in the quest for a happy life, man, isn't this what we see within culture? I I mean, like, this is is like the theme of culture. Go, Go be your best self. Go live your best self. Go be happy. Well, listen to me. If you are in Christ, my challenge for you is where do you find this happy life? Is it in the full forgiveness of Jesus? Is this the thing that wells up in your heart when you're like, man, I'm so blessed. Why am I so blessed? Not because I live in Collin County. Not because I have two cars in my driveway. I'm blessed because I'm forgiven. This is why we are blessed, church. It's not because of the things that we have, but because what has been done for us. I hope that we will run back to the blessed life being found in the forgiveness of our sins more often. In verses 3 through 5, David is going to rehash his own story of forgiveness. And he's going to go back and tell us more about this silent period that he had. He says in verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. What does this mean? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see the sins uh, that he has committed with Bathsheba and Uriah. And then we have this chapter break in chapter 12, but what we find out later is that it's been over a year that he's been hanging on to this life. Over a year, he's been trying to work through and cover up his sin of adultery and murder. Like, guys, I walked around for three days 
telling lies and felt like my, the world was crashing down on me. Like it literally stole my joy. Surely we can resonate with verse, five, or with verse 4 where he says, as Texans, it was like the sun drained all of my energy. Right? Like surely we all know this feeling. This is what sin does. Silent sin will take it all away. It'll take your joy. It'll take your energy. Like it, it will affect you. And this is what David's saying. He's saying, my bones, they were wasting away. I was groaning all day. Like, it was almost physically painful, the sin that I was keeping secret. Like, surely we've all been to this place before. We felt the weight of our sin. We felt the misery of it. We felt the Holy Spirit's conviction. But sometimes we get to that place to where we know we're in the wrong, but we don't know how to get out. David's going to share with us how to get out. He's going to share with us how to let go of all of that. He tells us in verse 5, I acknowledged my sins to you. So let me read verse 5 for you and, and help, help us understand a little better with some of these definitions that I've given us. This is what David says. He says, I acknowledge my sin. So my off-target living, that missing of the mark that I've been doing, I acknowledge that sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I didn't cover my guilt. I didn't cover my crooked actions. I said, I will confess. I will tell my transgressions, my rebellion to the Lord. And you, you God, you forgave. You lifted it off of me. You carried it away. You covered it with Jesus' blood. And you didn't count it against me. My sins, that missing of the mark, you didn't count it. So John Piper calls this the ascending spiral of forgiveness. What is outlined here for us in verse 5. And it's really simple. And parents, like we teach this to our kids. We teach this how to make it right, how to ask for forgiveness. Well, this is what we teach our kids. And so what he says here is he says, number one, if you want to be forgiven, you first have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Like you have to own the fact that you're not perfect, that you have committed sin, that you have missed the mark, that you have rebelled against the creator, that you have done all of these things that do not match up with his will for your life. And once we acknowledge that, the next step is then just as David did. We acknowledge, man, we're in this place and we can't get out of, so we confess it back. We confess. We did this this morning. Russ led us in a time where we are asking for God's forgiveness. We're confessing our sins before him, knowing full well that he will forgive us. And then as we confess, then we receive. First John says that he was sure to forgive us. This is exactly what he does for us. And what's so interesting is I said that this is what we teach our kids, right? So-and-so hits little brother, little sister, right? And you're like, what do you need to say? But before they can even say that they're sorry, they have to recognize they actually did something wrong. It's the same for us. We have to recognize that there's sin before we confess it. And then once we confess, then we receive. Here's the crazy part is that I know this isn't natural. Like this process, this ascending spiral, it's not natural for us to do these things. It won't come naturally for you to own the fact that you're a sinner. Like you won't just up and do that. You won't just start to confess. 
Why do I know this is not natural? Because we have to teach it to our kids. Surely we can look at these little sinners in our house and say, this is not natural. Acknowledgement of sin, confessing it, asking for forgiveness, not natural behavior. If it was, we wouldn't have to teach it. If it was, then God wouldn't have to keep reminding us. My question for us is, do you know how big a deal sin is? Like, like do, you understand, do you understand the power that it has if it's not given up, if it's not turned over? I was laying in bed the other night, and I was like just kind of rehearsing the day, and I was thinking about Psalm 32, and I'm like, man, I feel like there's things that I just need to confess, Lord. Like, I need to get these things off, off my chest. And so I went through my day, and I thought, man, I've had a pretty good day. Have you ever done this before? I didn't do anything like, I, there was nothing egregious on the record that I've done that was just like, oh my gosh, i got to turn that one over for sure, Right? There wasn't anything huge that I could think of. And so I was just like, God, will you just open my eyes? Like, maybe there's things that I don't even see, but I want to see them. Will you show them to me? It was like instantaneously. It's like my brain switched from, well, how about this, Gabe? How about you stop thinking about the wrong things that you did and start thinking about all the right things you didn't do? Man, it was in that moment I was like, Way to go, Gabe. You followed a bunch of rules. Way to go. Good for you. You didn't kill anybody today. You didn't do anything great. Like, good. Good job. Well, what about all the selfishness that you portrayed today? What about all the times it was just all about you? It was never about loving and serving anybody else. It was just you, man. Way to go. Man, it, like in that moment, I was like these sins of, of omission where I just don't step into the things that God has planned for me. Man, I, I want to be, I want to be, I want to know these things. I want to be aware of these things. I want to be aware of them so that, man, I can do it better so I can walk in fellowship with God. The good news is that even with that revelation of not just the wrong that I've done, but the right that I haven't, that I don't have to carry any of the weight of that burden by myself. Jesus already has. So verses six through nine. David, as well as God, will start to instruct us on how, maybe not how is a good word, maybe why we should seek his forgiveness. In, in verse 6, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. I'll just shorthand this for you. Don't wait. This is what David says. Don't wait. Why is he so adamant about like, like if you've got something to confess, confess it now. It's because your fellowship with God hangs in the balance. I'm not talking salvation. I'm talking fellowship, this intimate relationship, this resting in his power and his peace. Like that fellowship, it hangs in the balance because what sin will do is it'll creep its way in and it will start to separate you from him. And also what it'll do is it'll start hardening your heart and desensitizing you to the things that you should be aware of, but you're not. You'll start to see those little sins as not that big a deal. Mm. This is exactly where the enemy wants you. 
He wants you completely ineffective for the kingdom by being outside of the presence of God. He wants you removed from the light. First John talks about walking in the light. Man, this is where we want to be. How do we get there? How do we stay there? We confess and receive forgiveness. We confess, we receive forgiveness. And we start to look for the ways in which we might be falling away. We start asking God, man, would you make my heart more open, more, more aware of the sin that's in my life so that I can turn it right back over to you? I don't, want to, I don't want to hold it any longer. I don't want to hold it one second longer. As soon as it hits, boom, I want to give it back. That's it. And then he goes on and David says, here's the other reason you don't wait is because the flood water is coming. The flood water is coming, but just like you said last week, um, there is protection in the Lord. There is shelter in the Lord. This sounds a lot like David's song of deliverance, right? That he is asking for God's protection, but not just because he knows he's going to have it from physical enemies, but he's also praying that he would have it from the spiritual enemies as well. That, that for sin to have a, a hold on his life is not going to happen as long as he's confessing it and God is sheltering him. This is a great place for you and I to be, to trust in his protection, but also to run to him, not waiting, running. And then in verses 8 and 9, God chimes in. Just like he normally does or he does often in the Psalms, God will actually pick up the pen and he'll start to write things to us. And what I love about this little section here in verses 8 and 9 is that God's not even going to mention sin. He's not going to mention it. David's already covered it. God's going to reaffirm everything that David has been teaching us so far. When he says, now, I, this is God, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like the horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with the bit and bridle or it won't stay near to you. What he's saying is like, hey, um, stop being stubborn. Stop being prideful. There's no room for that. You will never come confessing your sin, much less acknowledging that you're in it yourself, if you're so filled with pride and stubbornness. Don't do those things. And not only that, he says that he will instruct you. I love this because in not mentioning our sin, he says, look, here, if you guys will just come near, like just come near to me, you won't have to worry about that sin. Like, you follow my steps, you won't have to worry about these things. You stay in my presence, I got you. I'll instruct, I'll guide. I got my eye on you. I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. I'll always be here for you. Don't stray, but come close. So um, I was listening to some sermons uh, that some other guys had done over Psalm 32. And Mark Dever um, said this at one point in one of his sermons. And when he said this, like I just paused the podcast and was like, oh boy. He says this, he says, It seems to me that God is more willing to forgive our sins than we are to confess them. I thought, man... That may be true of me. That may be true of me. 
that it seems that he is sitting with open arms. Like, this is what I see in verses 6 through 9. God's saying, come back. Don't wait. Don't wait one more minute longer. Like, come back. My arms are open. I want to forgive you. I sent my son Jesus to die instead of you. Come back and receive the forgiveness that I will give you. Don't wait. Run. Run back to me. But so often we're so stubborn and prideful, we think we can take care of it ourselves. I'm just going to encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't try to outwork God's grace. Come running to him. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive. So um, here I am in my hotel room, 12 years old. I've just been confronted with the fact that I've been lying for the past three days. I'm down $20 at tears in my eyes. Um, and I just looked at my dad and I was like, I lost it. I don't know where the money's at. And I've been lying ever since. <laughs> um, and it's, it's so interesting. Me and my dad were talking about this story this week. And he goes, I remember that story well. He goes, I can't believe that was over 30 years ago. I can't believe you remember that. And I go, Dad, I remember the words that you said to me. And he said, he said, Gabe, uh, I'm not mad at you, but I am disappointed. I just wish you would have come to me sooner. And then he reached in his pocket, pulled out his wallet, and handed over 20 more dollars. Is this not a picture of the grace of God? I mean, is this not a picture of God saying, please don't try to do something on your own. Please don't carry the weight of your sin because Jesus already has. He carried it all the way to Golgotha and he hung on a tree so that you wouldn't have to pay the consequence. He defeated death so that you didn't have to feel the shame of your sin. He did all of this for you, so don't wait. Come running, because God is ready and willing to forgive. Amen. This is the story of Psalm 32, that Jesus has already paid the price, that he is waiting to extend his grace and his full forgiveness to anyone that asks for it, anyone who asks for it. So if you are in this room today and you are not in Christ, you, you are not a Christian, it, my application for you would be um, to take you back to verse 6, where David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Can I just tell you honestly, with as much love as I can, that Today may be the day that he is found for you. Like today may be that day when you can find the Lord. You can experience his full forgiveness. Today may be the best day because it is today. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And tomorrow you might wake up and he may not be as easily found as he is right now in these moments. Bible's open. Gospel being proclaimed. 
He may not be found as easily as he could be right now. Offer prayers to him, acknowledging your sin, confessing it to him, and receiving his grace and salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, I would encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. Not one day longer. If you have questions, I'll be right up here at the end. Like, come talk to me. Or better yet, just talk to any Christian around you. Have them tell you their story of forgiveness. How they're walking in it. If you are in Christ, if you're a believer, verses 10 and 11 are for you. Verses 10 and 11 are for you. These are the results of living a fully forgiven life. He says, number one, learn from the example of David and trust in the Lord's promise and his faithfulness. And then lastly, in verse 11, he says, be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. Like this is the response of the forgiven. This, is, this should be how we leave this building, shouting for joy at the forgiveness we've received. L- listen, we're going to close this service by singing a, an old hymn that a lot of you guys probably know. It's a psalm called, It Is Well. And it's this psalm, this song about this man who is saying, no matter what comes in my life, it's well with my soul because Christ is on my side. I've experienced full forgiveness. And listen, church, when we get to verse 3, I'm about to get fired up. When we get to verse 3 and we sing those words, my sin, oh, the bliss of this wondrous thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Like that should explode out of your heart and out of your mouth. The fact that every piece of sin has been eradicated from your life because of the full forgiveness that Christ offers. That has to be our response, church. That's got to be how we live. Fully forgiven. Ready to share and tell others about how they too can experience that same full forgiveness that will last all of their days and all of them to come. Will you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your scriptures. Thank you for men like David who are so raw and authentic, who have gone before us and that we can learn from that we can learn from not just their mistakes, but we can learn from how you've dealt with them. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have seen in the pages of Scripture in David's life. And God, I'm praying that that there will be people in this room today that will experience that same forgiveness. Some of them for the first time, God, I pray, that they would experience that salvation forgiveness. And for the rest of us, would we continue to run to you and not wait? Would we continue to give over the burden of our sin to you? Because Jesus carried it for us. Help us to remember these things as we go through our week. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, 
visit our website, thetrails.org.